Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about being women in business and specifically everything we wish someone would have told us about it, what it would be like for us as women in business. And if you aren't a woman, that's okay. We think you'll still find this conversation insightful as you probably work with women. And we do want to caveat this by saying to all the women out there, you need to do you, right? So we're going to address some controversial topics and our perspective, quite frankly, at times might not be yours. But ultimately, we fully support everyone doing what is right for them as the caveat before we get into the actual conversation. We do want you ultimately to really go into your careers with eyes wide open, understanding how the game is played so you become a better player of it. But it's also for all of you who support women who in business too, just to get a little bit of a better understanding about their lens and their perspective that they might be uh, you know, looking through, as well as what might be at play for them, just to have a little bit more empathy and maybe help them address some of these challenges. So with that, we are going to jump in to everything we wish someone would have told us about being women in business. And these are our top four. So here we go. The first thing is changing your name can impact your legacy. And I will start this one because me and April actually have um, a, a different stories on this topic, but um, and we're going to give you both of ours. But um, for me, I went into my career as Ann Candido. Uh, about four or five years into my career, I got married and I was Ann Westbrook. Another 10 years later, I was divorced. I was back to Ann Candido. And that's how I finished out my career at P&G. And now I've been Ann Candido, even though I'm remarried again. And what I can tell you, especially after a 20-year career at P&G, was that there was a lot of discontinuity in how people remembered me, which makes it hard to build a reputation, frankly, mm -hmm. and hard to continue to maintain credentialing and credibility in your space. I mean, to the extent that I actually, for a whole year when I got married, I would say, you know, Ann Candido or formerly Westbrook when I was divorced. Actually, that's on the other side. And then on the front side, it was Ann Westbrook, formerly Candido, just to kind of try to build some of that continuity. So um, it's, it can be very difficult in order for people to connect to dots. Another story was when I was in a meeting, in a business meeting, and um, I was speaking about actually one of our executive, our, our, our female executives, and I was speaking about her and her married name, and she had just gotten married, and they said, who is that? And I said, oh, well, then I gave the, her maiden name, and they're like, oh, now I know who you're talking about. And he actually said to me, that's such a shame that nobody knows who she is anymore. And we say this because it is real and there is a legacy, you know, a legacy path that has name stretched through it. And men don't necessarily understand that because they don't generally consider changing their name. So it's definitely something you want to consider as you think about your career and where you are in your career and what that means to you. 
April, maybe you want to share your story too, because you took a little bit of a different path. Yes, exactly. So I'm April Martini and I am married and I'm still April Martini. So I never actually changed my name to Ellis, which is my husband's last name. And so for me, I mean, by the time we got married, I was uh, seven-ish years into my career, had worked at a few different agencies, felt like I had built a pretty strong reputation for myself in the different roles that I was playing. And then not to mention, I mean, my name is April Martini. In the branding world, I mean, come on. Like, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the years, hundreds probably, around my name. But the interesting thing was is, of course, I had people support like, well, duh, no brainer. I wouldn't change my name either. But then there were others that thought I was taking some like big feminist stance. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Um, Well, no, actually, it's a very practical reason. I've started my career. My name stands out in the type of career I'm in. Therefore, I kept my name. And that's pretty much it. Now, did people tease my husband and say, like, oh, why don't you just change it to Martini? Yes, yes, yes. All those things, too. But I think the point of it was just like sort of the the expectation of the reason that I had done it when really it was just like, no, it actually makes good practical sense. Yeah, and I think if if you haven't changed your name, you should understand it. It actually takes about a year to do so. Oh, that was the other thing. I was and lazy. It's it, and it's not. Yeah, it's not easy. You'll carry around your you know your, either your divorce decree or your marriage certificate for at least a year until you are able to find all the things that your name is associated with that you actually have to go through and change. And you know it. I, I, like we said, you got to do you. If if this is something you feel really passionate about, then mm-hmm. you know you, you should change your name and you can deal with that. Like I said, I had a um in my salutation in my email for like at least a year what my former name was on facebook i moved my former name to the middle name slot mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. there's and then um you can hyphenate your name i mean a lot of people did that i've actually had uh, several colleagues who used their maiden name in work and their married name out in public mm-hmm. that creates actually a lot of identity issues to be totally honest um both formally and informally but it's it's definitely an option um and both me and April have kids who our last names are different. It's something that you can get over and you learn how to deal with. And the people who who know you and the people who matter will associate you with your kids. Um, so it's, it's, there's, you know, pluses and minuses either way. But I think the point that we wanted to make here is that you really need to consider how important your legacy is and how hard you want to fight in order for that continuity to maintain itself so that you're not reinventing yourself every time you would change your name. Hopefully it would only be once, but you just never know. Well, I think that's a really good point because I would say that when I was getting married, uh, you know, I had made the decision, like we said, not to change my name, but I don't think I even had the complete picture of what I would need to manage if I had changed my name or if I didn't. So for example, we didn't even know if we were going to have kids when we got married, right? Well, then mm-hmm. I didn't change my name. And then it was like, well, are you going to change your name once we have kids? And I didn't do that. So like Ann said, my kids have different names. You wouldn't believe the amount of issues that that actually does cause me, even though their middle names are Martini. It's So there are issues on all sides. I think the point of the conversation we want to have today is, you know, we're telling you stuff we wish people would have educated us on. And looking back, we now see a much bigger picture about mm-hmm. the decisions being made. So I would just offer that caveat in this particular instance, but throughout the episode. Yep. All right. The second thing we wish somebody would have told us about being a woman in business is that characteristics that are seen as strengths in men can be seen as liabilities in women. 
Yeah, and this one gets a little touchy, everyone. So, you know, I will offer that statement up front. There's definitely a catch-22 here. So being bold, direct, decisive, you know, those are characteristics that males are praised for. Sometimes people, females are also praised for them. Sometimes they're not. And they're called things that are not so positive as a result of those behaviors or looked at as being tough to work with or, you know, always having too much of an opinion, those types of things. Um Whereas on the other side, if women act according to societal historical norms, we'd like to say, of being gentle or nurturing or accommodating, then you can be perceived as weak or wishy-washy or lacking any sort of strength of perspective. So this got Anne and me into a very strong conversation mm-hmm. about what are the right qualities to have. And so as we look back on our careers, we feel like women that are what we call empathetic action takers, meaning they're not afraid to push stuff through, to work hard, but they consider people along the way when they are doing so and have the ability to bring people together, make sure everyone feels heard. They have a confidence, but through a professional demeanor. That is what we've seen, at least, kind of toe the line on both sides and lead to success for women in business. Now, That is one example of how it can work, right? So we said you have to do you, and we hold to that very firmly. I mean, I will tell you right now that I was very stubborn, (laughs) (laughs) strong-willed. What? Uh, Shocker. (laughs) I'm still extraordinarily direct. But early on in my career, I mean, I got a good amount of feedback that actually over time, I didn't want to hear it then, but I found to be fair of if I took a more collaborative approach, if I didn't leave people in the dust, if I worked hard to bring people along, even though I might be ahead, all of that was good feedback. But I'd be lying if I didn't say some of it came through this lens that we're talking about here, where I felt I was given feedback based on my gender instead of performance all the time. So again, just another you know indicator here of what can happen. And I think the tough part too is that I was raised by a very strong woman who never talked to me about you know, men, women, whatever. It was much more of like, you are a person, you speak Mm -hmm. your mind. I don't care what age you are. You are to be respected. You need to respect others. And so that is the perspective that I took into business with me. But again, then I was having to kind of pave my own way and learn these things as I went based on situations that were occurring in the organizations I was in and in a pretty heavily male-dominated field, quite frankly, in the agency world. I mean, it's changing now, of course, but a lot of the senior leadership was male. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we all have stories, especially if you're going to be more on the alpha female side of it, where um, it feels like in order to compete against men, you actually have to act like one. Mm. And we're here to say um, we've tried that. It doesn't work. Um, it, it it tends to have the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you know we really stress the empathetic action taker as a leadership approach. And I'll give you an example of what that looks like. So again, the same person who I was mentioning before, one of our executive marketing directors, um, and uh, we would sit in a creative review. And in order to keep everything on track, which if you heard me and April talk about the corporate agency dynamics before, (laughs) you say those things can drown on forever. But in order to keep everybody on track, what she would let everybody do who was sitting in the room, it doesn't matter what level you're at, 
she said, okay, I want to hear what everybody has to say, mm-hmm. but here's the things you can give me yes or no. You give me one reason why, <laughs> and that's it. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't want to help. You know, you don't have to sit there, you know, and um, give me the whole full like story. Like, just give me the one reason why, like your big reason why. And we did that, and everybody went through, and there was about I would say fifteen of us in that review. Review, and she sat there and she listened to. She goes, okay, I've heard all of you, like a judge. Yeah, and I've like I've li- I've, I've listened to everything that you guys have to say. You guys all gave me your point of view. This is the decision I'm making, and why. And that's what we went forward with. Now. Not everybody liked the decision, but mm-hmm. everybody at least felt good about the fact that they were one heard and two a decision was made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think that's the other um, trap we, you know we sometimes get into as as women in that we want to be overly empathetic mm-hmm. and making sure that um, everything is considered and you have time to process and is everybody you know so whose feelings are going to be heard that we don't make the decisions mm-hmm. and that's where. The, uh, the 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 other side of it kind of comes into play. So that's one example of an empathetic action taker, somebody who listens to everybody, but then is using that input in order to make a decision, make a decision quickly, and move. Yeah, I, and I think that's that's super important, right? Because I, I feel like the facilitation that happens in those moments is so valuable and so rare. And so, I mean, you know, we're talking about women here today, but we've also talked about the idea of Midwest nice. You know, we're in Cincinnati and not wanting to hurt people's feelings in business and how detrimental not being able to give that feedback is. But I think in this instance, it's a matter of really hearing what people have to say, respectful of all the opinions, but very diplomatic in the approach. And when you can cultivate that and make that the expectation, then I think it becomes much easier to get and keep everybody on board. So like you heard Anne say, everyone may not have liked the decision that was come to, but they could all respect it because they understood the approach and the mindset and the thought and they were heard as part of it. Yep. Yep. All right. The third thing that we wish somebody would have told us as women in business is that you are a trailblazer still today. And this is a a big one, and we see it all around us, um, but it's hard to believe that it's only been 100 years since women have been given the right to vote. I mean, that's like the time frame that we're talking about here, guys. Mm -hmm. So that's still like people like that are still living today know what it's like to have people who are they were related to that weren't able to vote, like mm-hmm. their mom or their grandma. Mm-hmm. And it seems absurd to think about that, but it does ground us in the fact that we are still in a place that we're trailblazing. And whether you, you know, you're, you're part of a, an actual like mission or a movement in order to do that, or you're just in a situation that requires it, it's something that you got to take on in order to continue to the, progress mm-hmm. women in business as well as um you know the, the your own personal journey and i think you know it's important to say that yeah there i mean there's biases out there there's double standards out there there's inequality that's still out there there's outdated systems all of that is true we've talked about several of them we're going to continue to talk about several of them going forward here but you know you really have two choices i mean you can rise to the occasion mm-hmm. or you can choose to crumble under the injustice of it all and and those are really your only two choices now that doesn't mean you necessarily have to go on a crusade mm-hmm. but it does mean that you have to deal with it and then again play the game in order to be able to rise above it. Mm-hmm. 
you have to fix everything in your path? No, you don't necessarily have to fix everything in your path, but you have to recognize what's happening and get over the fact that it's not fair. It shouldn't be like this. Um, all of those excuses that we give ourselves as to why we feel held back, because that's not going to do us any good. We all have to commit to progress. We all have to like be in this together in order to continue the movement forward in order for this change to happen. Like, Because sometimes it's going to happen. It could happen right away. Sometimes it's going to take a little longer. And it can be actually very lonely. And mm-hmm. I wish somebody would have told me that as I was going through it, that, yeah, it could be very lonely because you could be one of the only ones. Yep. Um, you could be the first one. Um, you know, we're having a lot of you know first in the last year. And that could be very difficult. But, you know, I, I kind of look back and, you know, my mom and my aunt and my grandma and, you know, some of the things they had to go through. Like my mom tells a story about how when she was working at the bank, her and my aunt had to work towards letting you know women have their own credit cards. Crazy. I mean, and that's not that long ago, guys. I mean, not that long ago at all that women weren't even allowed to have their own credit cards. And I'll tell you, that would be detrimental to me right now because then my husband would know how much I spend on wine. <laughs> So, I mean, I think it's like, it's just our turn. And I think that's the whole trailblazing thing. It's like, you have to carry the torch. You have to push it forward, whatever it is in the way that you define it. But we can't continue to, you know, we can't whine about it. We can't, you know, we can't just, like I said, crumble under the injustice of it all, or we'll never continue to progress everything forward. Yeah. And, and, you know, if if you know anything about Ian and me, it's that we're doers, right? Like we take action, we stand behind what we believe in, but we make sure that that's represented kind of across the board. And I would say that that applies exactly in this situation. So it's okay if something happens, if you feel bad and you need a little time to recover or, you know, Mm -hmm. you you have to try a few different things before you find what works. That's not what we're saying here. But what we are saying is, Again, we're shedding light on situations that are still out there that are hard for people to talk to on one side or the only thing people talk to on the other side. And so this is meant to really help make sure that everyone feels empowered, like Anne said, Mm -hmm. no matter what situation they're in or how strong of a stance they want to take, to feel like they're able to own, manage, and change their situation toward the positive side of things. And so this one I think is is really important because like Anne said, I mean, can, I can't believe, like when she said it's only been 100 years and I, I feel bad that I was like, wait, what? I had to think about it. But it, I mean, literally 100 years. And so to think about an entire society flipping and doing a complete 180, it's just not possible. I mean, history has shown us that time and again, right? So I think it's just really important to remember we all want to be able to live the realities we want to live and feel like we're making the difference we want to make. Yeah. I think that's really, really important. I think that's really well said. All right. The fourth thing that we wish somebody would have told us about being women in business is about the zero-sum alpha female game. Yeah. You want to start on this This, one? (laughs) This one's tough for me to talk about um, because I feel like, like Ian said, sometimes you are the person in this situation, and, Mm -hmm. and I've been in this situation, quite frankly, throughout my career. But the thing we're talking about here, and Ann already alluded to it, you know, female first. And so 
the way that society has in some ways promoted the changes that have occurred for women, it's very much a first one to do fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. And so the prestige that comes with being the first and the only, it feels elite, right? Special, like a reward, exclusive. But it also can lead to the interpretation that there's only room for one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And instead of using those firsts as a lead in and then everybody else can follow because now the door has been opened and we're all welcome and, you know, we we should all be able to now do this and thank you for being the first. It becomes more of a rite of passage, pay your dues to get there type of situation. And we just talked about the fact that it's only been 100 years again. So us throwing up barriers for the sake of ourselves or being restrictive is not going to help that progress move as quickly as I think all of us want to see it. Um, So I think our advice here is, number one, if you end up in those situations, be mindful of it, be inclusive and help pay it back and help other women get there too. And also, if you're in a situation where you're on the receiving side of someone who's behaving like this, find ways to be in her corner, to share her success, to hopefully open her mind to the fact that there's not only room for one, but be brave enough to have those conversations and find allies where you can. Yeah, I think this is a big one because... um... I mean, it's it, it's if you just look into your LinkedIn feed, that's all it feels like it is, you know, first female this, first female that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I uh, put a blog post out about, you know, when is it going to be normal just to say there's a new CEO versus having be the first female CEO. And mm-hmm. and, and that's still going to probably be a little while, mm-hmm. you know, frankly and honestly. But I think what um, I wish, you know, to tell those people who are the first is that as as you um stated april is that don't make it then everybody has to again blaze the trail behind you like mm-hmm. the the trail yep. should have already been blazed it should be wide open paved mm-hmm. and i think the other thing we have to realize too is that it's not just one position mm-hmm. like i mean and that's the thing you know that we all kind of think about too is that like oh only you know the, the zero sum game comes to the fact that there's only you know the one it's like well no if we could get to the point where we're recognizing people and people's contributions and in their talents, then it's open to all. Mm-hmm. So it's it still might be the first, fine, but pave that path for mm-hmm. everybody that's coming behind you and don't be part of the problem. You know, and I had to pay, personally face this as well. Um, my, my two managers up um, when I was going up for my promotion, um, <laughs> I had checked all the boxes. I again, like delivering everything I could deliver. And um, I was told by my one manager up that I was not going to be promoted because my two bosses up, and both of these are are female bosses, um, didn't think I was a happy person. So mind you, I was going through my divorce at that time. My two bosses up didn't even live in this country. So I was, you know, um, engaged this very infrequently. And um, it was like, well, you know, you're going to have to like be her best friend. You're, when she comes into town, you're going to need to take her everywhere. You're going to have to show her that you smile. Like, that was the thing. I don't smile enough. That was the, the feedback I was given. And uh, I say all that just to say, okay, I could have done one of two things here. I could have given two big middle fingers up and said, you know what? That's <laughs> ridiculous. I'm not yes, doing that. 
Um, but again, it becomes about playing the game. It's like, all right, well, if I want to get promoted, this is a game I need to play. And so what I needed to do was I had to convince her that I was a happy person. And that actually, that process, though, was actually a good learning process for me because one, it didn't make me very self-aware that what mm-hmm. I was going through was actually impacting the world around me and you know my relationships with people. And I had to be very, you know, I, I had to be more careful and more aware of that. Um but also maybe a better player of the game. Mm-hmm. And it and it does harden you a little bit where you're like, all right, you know what? It's not emotional. I'm not going to take it as an emotional thing. I'm not going to take it as a personal thing. I'm just going to go play this game. And I got my promotion. Um, and, you know, some people are going to say, God, I can't believe you had to do that to do that. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. I can't believe I had to do it to do that either. And a, a guy would never have been given that same feedback. But you know what? It's just a game we have to play. Mm-hmm. And to me, getting to that next step was more important then the game I had to play. I could have chose to sat out. I could have gone sat on the bench. I could have made that choice, and that's fine. But nobody gives you a gold star for being a martyr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have to really kind of take it as a choice here. And I think that's the moral of this of this particular point is that it is a choice how you choose to, p- to play the game. It's also a choice about being able to open the door and pave the path for people who are coming you know, behind you um, and, and just – treating the whole thing differently the whole situation differently yeah and and really i mean stop talking in terms of first right because yeah <laughs> that that immediately sets that up in a negative way agreed all right so those are the four things that we wish somebody would have told us about being women in business um and now we've conveyed those to you so we hope that those help you no matter where you are in your stage of business Think about things maybe a little bit differently. And really, like we said, is to put the control back with you, like put you in the driver's seat so that you don't feel that you're at the whim of whatever the circumstance mm-hmm. is. Um, Absolutely. So it's it's meant to be empowering. It's meant to give you a, a, a different perspective for which to um, approach your career, your life in general. Now we're going to go into the, the trenches questions. This is going to get probably pretty personal, <laughs> um, and that's okay. Um, and again, we're going to share um, you know, specific experiences that we've had as well as questions that people have asked us in this context. Um, again, you got to do you. We're giving you a perspective. We you know, believe in being forthright, but you know, please don't take this as like, Anna and April told me this is the only way to go do this, okay? Yeah. So it's just a way to, to, to kind of think about it and address things a little bit differently, see it through things uh, uh, through a slightly different lens. Okay. So the first one, I am having a baby. I'm worried the time I take away from the office will set me back. What do you think? And I've been here most recently with a five- and two-year-old, so I can certainly speak to that. Um, and the first thing I'll be really honest about is it really could. Depending on how fast your business moves, how much support you have from your company and your management, um, if you're out on your own, which I was for the second of my two kids, that's not time that you have to make revenue. If you're the only one working, you're not making money. Um, So it definitely can. But what I will say is just like everything else we've been talking about today is one, do you, like Ann said, but also... The more you can prepare for it and have open and honest conversations, the better off you'll be. So with my first son, I was still working at an agency. Um, I was lucky enough to have other females on the executive staff at that point. So that certainly helped. Um, 
And, you know, the management of the company said very overtly, we're not going to penalize our female employees for having kids. So, you know, they, they were males, but still that's a really good situation to be in. But I think for myself, I put a lot of personal pressure on myself to exactly this point. What am I going to miss out on? Um, what am I going to do when I come back? How am I going to make this new life work? You know, I was in meetings 40 to 45 hours a week. Um, I can't really be late anymore. I have someone that's relying on me. You know, yeah, I have my husband too, but he was traveling all over the world at this point. So for me, it was about being really choiceful when it was the right time for me to have kids. I was older, especially by Mm -hmm. Cincinnati standards. So I had a pretty good start on my career. I was 33 when I had Sam and 36 when I had Mia. So I had already built a pretty significant legacy for myself and and reputation. I was also honest with myself that I didn't want to work a bajillion hours anymore and I didn't want it to take away from time with the kids. And I wanted to be able to feel good about both sides. That's a really nice statement to make. Then I had to go and live it. Mm -hmm. And so I had to really work very diligently and very hard. And Anne and I talk about testing and learning. It's no different in this situation. Um, For me, I made the choice to stay in touch with my team informally. I mean, legally, there are some things if you're on maternity leave and all of that. But I did make sure to still um, coach a lot of the team members and give advice. Uh, I would meet them for drinks and bring the baby right along when I was off. Um, It served as a really good connection point. I felt like it kept my brain fresh and I could help in a different way because I was outside of it. So I was actually able to play. I'm telling you guys, this is a very light role, right? But it was enough to make me feel still valued and still remembered and like I was still a big part of the team. Then when I went back, I set very strong rules. We had a nanny. She only worked these hours. There was no being late. I no longer answer emails before work. I no longer answer emails from, you know, six to eight or whatever when Sam was awake. And then I had to stick with that. Um, On my team, we had, again, a lot of females, like I said, and a lot of women having kids, and we did have support of the organization. Um, And then we had to support each other. There was no guilting each other. There was no, you know, if you have to leave, someone else will cover it. But, you know, we tried to do that more from those of us that had kids instead of penalizing others. So there's all these dynamics that happen. Um, There can and there are, and I've seen situations where people – careers do suffer, you know, expectations are too high, you're supposed to be there for 60 hours a week, you know, all of these types of things. But this is a big one of doing you because quite frankly, as I said at the beginning, I wasn't even sure that I wanted kids. When I decided that I wanted kids, I really wanted kids. And I wanted to be a very active part of their life the same way my mom was, even though she was stay at home for a large portion. I didn't want to sacrifice that because I worked and I wanted my kids to be proud of the fact that I worked. So, yeah. And I think um, what you I, I, I like what you said about the fact that it can go either way. Right? It can go either it way. It can go either way. And I think what you have to realize is that it's, a again, a choice that you have to make. Yep. Uh, and you need to make the choice based on what is more important for you. Yeah. Because... 
it's fine if your career is more important than your kids. Mm-hmm. It is totally fine. You shouldn't feel shame about it. You shouldn't feel guilt about it. You shouldn't like other people make you feel shame or guilt about it. If your career is more important than your kids and your kids are playing a different role, that is totally fine. We're not here to say you're a bad mom or even like for the men listening, a bad dad. If you can't you be there or you can't prioritize the way you need to prioritize it. But you got to realize that there's consequences either way. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, and you got to like weigh that in. And sometimes it's shifts. Sometimes you start one way and you shift the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can tell you when I started, I was basically like a single mom. My my husband traveled Monday through Friday. Um, I wanted to still have a career. I could not handle being at home by myself. Mm-hmm. It was really, really tough for me. I used to say if um, if you weren't Dr. Phil, um, I couldn't like even process what you were saying to the point when I got to work and I was like, why is everybody talking so fast? I mean, it was <laughs> it, it was bad, you know, and so but I needed that. I needed that adult simulation in order to mm-hmm. be sane, especially with my husband traveling all the time. So my kids did go to daycare. I picked them up. I was one of the first ones to be there and one of the last ones to leave. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was good for them in that kind of context. It was good for me to as a as a person to have that stimulus and to continue to um you know, move my career along. and But now 20 years later, I'm enjoying the fact that I'm an entrepreneur and that mm-hmm. we have a more flexible schedule. And now I'm taking, you know, I don't have any anymore. I'm taking my kids to practices. I'm I'm taking them, you know, choosing the middle of the day. It's like when they were on a snow day, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's go play out in the snow for a little bit. And I could do that. And mm-hmm. I have that flexibility. So it, it it's going to ebb and flow depending on where you are. And, and that's fine too. But I got to make the choice based on what's going to be best for you. It's the only way to go here. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, one of the things that I knew and stated overtly right off the bat is, God bless the nannies out there and the women that can stay at home with their kids. I am not built that way, like Ian said. And I got some flack for making that statement sometimes. But I can tell you with absolute certainty, I am a better mom to my kids because I work. I just mm-hmm. am. Yeah, I, I agree. Me too. I am a better person. I'm a more mentally healthy person. <laughs> um, and I just show up better for them. And when we're together, we're together. And when I'm working, I'm working. And it works for yeah. me. But, you know, that's that's just it. You have to choose and then keep with the decision or change it if you need to. But be true to you. Yep. All right. The second in the trenches question, I'm constantly being told that I'm exceeding expectations with regards to my work, but others are getting promoted over me. What is going on? <laughs> Again, another super sensitive one. And, you know, and I, I talked a little bit about this um, when I was mentioning a couple of my previous experiences. And I think it's just really important to, again, reiterate here that you can blame the situation. All right. And you may not even be wrong. Like for me, it was, oh, they have more supporters than me pulling them up. They're writing the coattails of others. And I found someone from, like writing my coattails. It pays to be nice, even if you're not that good. Or this is a boys club. And really, all those things could be totally right. I mean, and that's the, it's really it's a frustrating, the frustrating part. part about it is that you could be totally right. But what I was failing to recognize in that position, in that situation, which, you know, I I shared pretty openly, is that there is a reality, whether I liked it or not. And the reality was that what I was putting forth was not what they wanted to promote. Mm -hmm. And this was even into my 
the 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 second promotion, even beyond the one that I was telling you about, where I had to figure out how to smile more. Um, but what I really had to do is I had to go back into my personal brand and really look at my characteristics. I had to look at my appearance. I had to figure out how those were manifesting and behaviors and actions that weren't working for me. And I had to be really, really honest about it. And then I had to face some really cold, hard truths that I had like built some tapes um, that were continuing to be played that I had to undo. And those tapes were, again, kind of along the lines of the alpha female side that, you know, I had a reputation as being kind of edgy. I had a reputation as being um, uh, very direct, very transparent. So these things that are also could be perceived as, you know, strong personal qualities um, were not being um, perceived that way in certain situations. And so that reputation was really hard to undo. So again, I could have chosen, you know, the two big middle fingers approach, or I could, I, or I could say, okay, well, what, what do I have to do now in order to be able to show them that I am the right person? Because frankly, they weren't going to promote me otherwise. It doesn't matter how good my work was. Mm-hmm. The softer skill stuff, no matter if you're a male or a female, usually is what gets people stuck. And so I, I'd like to say that I was able to. <laughs> to take all that and process through it and able to change everybody's minds. Um, but I didn't. I mean, the tapes were just had been run for 20 years. Um, it was going to probably take me a whole lot longer in order to do that. So I had to really like reassess them why I was doing this and why was it so important to me? And is this, was this still the place for me? And um, that's where it kind of hit me that like, okay, even if I got promoted, I'm not sure that I still would have been fulfilled. I wanted mm-hmm. the stripe, but I was like, I don't actually want to do the work. And so that's the other thing I want to say here is like part of it. Yeah. If you're not getting promoted and you feel like you should be, is probably something a- along the lines of your personal brand and you're not quite recognizing or not quite embracing, but it also might be to the point where you've gotten to a, a position where you're really, and it might not even be something that you're like totally innately aware of, but like, what you're looking for is not jiving with actually who you are. Mm-hmm. And at that point, what I the decision I came to, as ironic as it sounds, is I outgrew P&G. And it was time for me to move on. And that's what I decided to do. Um, so a couple different ways of looking at that. But April, I know you had similar kind of uh, things happen to you, too. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I will say is in the agency world, it's pretty expected that you jump around. So if you really get stuck, you can just change agencies, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I which I did. But, um, you know, in all seriousness, I was lucky enough to have really strong supporters early on that could give me feedback and continue to be a part of my life to this day um, in a way that I was willing to hear and work on. Now, did I drag my feet? Did I push back? Did I say, no, that's not the case? Did I give all the examples that Ann said? Like, well, he just doesn't like me or, you know, that client thinks that I speak my mind too much. I'm not going to stop doing that. Like, yes, all of those things. But what you heard Anne say, and the same thing that I tried to do is once I got over the emotion associated with whatever the feedback was, it was to take that hard look and see if there was actually truth to it. And sometimes there wasn't, quite frankly. Sometimes it was just someone trying to cut me down or that didn't like me or whatever the case might be. But in most of the incidents, there 
was something that I could proactively work on for myself. And so early on, I was known as a ball buster. I was a hard charger. That came with a good definition and a negative definition sometimes. Mm -hmm. I did leave people behind. I did get frustrated when people didn't do what I thought they should be doing. And I it was written all over my face. I still have no poker face, although I work very hard to manage it. I just don't. And so if I had not learned to take what are inherently my characteristics as a person, the things that I can't change, but to manage them or play the game, as Anne said, or to look at both sides and learn how to work better with people and remember that the best work actually happens when you have a really strong team, I wouldn't have ever gotten to the success that I got to. So we've talked already today about you know, it's okay if you if you do get your feelings hurt and you have to take a little time to process and all of that. But the people that are going to make the change or the people that are going to personally succeed are the ones that take whatever situation they're in, find a way that they can manage through it or change it or depart, like Anne said, in some cases, mm -hmm. and then move on and be better for it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. The next question is actually on the flip side. So I recently got promoted. And I overheard people talking that they don't believe I was as qualified as other candidates. And I just got the promotion because I'm a woman. How do I deal with this? And yes, this happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it happens, guys. Um, it really, the only thing you can do here is prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. It's it's really the only thing you can do. Um, the, the one thing you don't want to get, you don't want to do is get stuck in the imposter syndrome and prove them right. 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 So this is something you're going to have to actually own it or not. Um, so either you're going to take the role that somebody has given you that somebody feels you're justified to have, own it, do the job, show everybody wrong, or again, crumble under the injustice of it all and feel bad that people don't feel like you're supposed to be there. Now, this is also where it can help to put that little bit of an internal chip on your shoulder mm -hmm. to just to motivate you um, a little bit. Don't put the external chip on your <laughs> shoulder because that only has like that. That's just never it just never goes you know, well at all. Um, so you don't want to like intentionally, you know, try to be combative or divisive or anything like that. And or like try to get them back or, mm -hmm. you know, that that stuff never works. The, the best way to overcome this is by demonstrating it through your actions. Now, I I want to say, you know, don't like I said, don't don't like lower yourself to the level of the haters. But if the hating is to the point where it's emotionally um or or it's 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 doing something where you can't do your job mm -hmm. um you know you need to go talk to somebody about that you need to go through the appropriate channels to do that so we're not saying that you should put up with any kind of behavior that's in any way inappropriate but if it's you know the 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 dynamics of the like the typical corporate dynamics just don't bow down to it yeah and i think this is one of the easiest ways to rise above a lot of the stuff that we're talking about um and not get caught up in or wallow in or allow it to ruin part of your career if you hear this type of stuff going on. I, I mean, I think if you can, like Ann said, if it's a, it's a real problem, it's a real problem. That's a different situation we're talking about. But a lot of times these kind of rumblings, if it wasn't this, it would be something else. Yeah. And, and so I think if you can take it for that and you're able to operate day to day with that perspective – in the long run, it'll make you stronger because you will have heard it and 
proven the opposite. Yeah, I think that's right on. All right, number four. I am a woman in a male-dominated field. I feel like I'm struggling to get their respect. How do I do this? And me and April are going to tag team this because we both have um, different perspectives from different uh, industries. So mm-hmm. um, I think I, you guys know me. I think I've told you guys that I um, started out as an engineer. So I was a mechanical engineer um, at a time when um, I, when I graduated, there was like 20 five mechanical engineers in my class and there was only three women so um you know that you know was a male-dominated field and then I went into um packaging um which was another male-dominated field so um a lot of experience in that from an engineering standpoint a manufacturing standpoint and 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 that sort of thing and it's kind of similar to how do you prove you know what I was saying before about how do you prove out naysayers is that you the best thing you can do is do good work um, and show them that, you know, you're as highly capable, that you're you're here for a reason um, and really become a student of what you are doing. And that's not in a way that's like, I'm going to try to prove you wrong again, or I'm going to try to prove you that I'm, I'm smarter than you, but you need to show that you can hang. You need to gain their respect. Um, and that involves is, Asking questions, um, being there and, and going over things until you get them right, um, making sure that you have the full knowledge and credibility of whatever industry is around you that could help, um, whether it's um, you know, the trainings or any kind of um, uh, the certain credentials. So think about everything that you could do in order to showcase that you are truly in a position because you are smart enough to hang and you're qualified to hang. It also may help to um, get to know what those guys like to talk about. Um, for me, it was uh, it helped that I grew up in a family that loved NFL football. So <laughs> I was able to talk football. So when they talked football, I could talk football. And they thought that was pretty impressive. Um, if you happen to be out somewhere and you see the, you know this, these groups of guys, like a lot of times there's, there's happy hours, um, buy a round of drinks. Don't necessarily need to join them. I would say you don't want to crash their party, but, you know, buy them a round of drinks and, you know, just extend that a little bit of an olive branch and, you know, show, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I, you know, I want to be part of this. Don't intentionally try to be the outsider, I think, is what I'm saying. It's like try to extend and build the bridges. And it always helps, too, um, where you can is to raise them up. Say nice things about them that are actually true. You don't have to, you know, lie. Don't invent things. Yeah, um, to their superiors. Um, you know, uh, if you're in a meeting, you know, um, you, you could just make a nod and say, hey, you know, you had a really good point about you know this thing the other day. Can you reiterate that? So just make it a more of a collaborative, cohesive environment. And I think you'd be surprised about how easily it it is to win men over. I think um, if they know you can hang, they know you know what you're talking about, you make them look good. I mean, those are like the quintessential things of making these guys happy. Do not bring in um, cookies for them. Do not like do like the motherly or the wifey things. Um, make sure that you're like playing the role within the professional realm or if you're in the manufacturing area the same way. So you don't need to win them over by trying to mother them or be their wife. Yeah. Not to throw any stereotypes out there, but right. <laughs> oh, um, we said we're going to be forthright. So yeah. I I mean, I feel like that's a big thing that sometimes, you know, happens, happens that I think sets 
women back is, um, so yeah. Yeah. And and I would say too, um, I mean, my industry wasn't so starkly dominated like that where proportions of my design classes were that far off or, or that sort of thing. Um, I will say that my MBA class was disproportionately, uh, males in the finance field of some kind in their forties. Um, and that was a little bit tough, but I think Anne's approach is right, which is, you be the one to proactively break down the barriers that are there and try to figure it out. So whether it was in class, you know, it was like there were like a handful of us that were just out of undergrad going to get our MBA. And then, you know, like I said, I mean, it was I mean, it had to be at least more than a third of my class of of 25 or whatever. Um, You know, my girlfriend and I were like, well, hey, they have a lot more experience than we do. They seem a little iffy about joining us. Let's go join them. And we were able to learn from each other. And since I had a design background, I brought those skills. You know, she had a medical background, which brought a unique perspective, you know, so that if you can't beat them, join them kind of mentality. And I mean, there's two or three of them now that still today that I Mm -hmm. keep in touch with. And there was very much, though, to Anne's point, mutual respect and a leveling of the playing field in those conversations. I would say similarly, when I went out and, you know, I was on the business side now, not a designer so much anymore, but still within the creative field. And I've already mentioned that at the top, definitely more male dominated, male owned, male executive, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, But I didn't necessarily have to worry about that coming in. I had to worry more about proving my chops and thickening my skin and being able to find ways to kind of be one of the guys. I mean, I think Ian's point is spot on. It was it was not necessarily acting like a dude or anything like that, but it was like, you know, they like to bust each other's chops. I could jump right in on that. They made a joke about me. I was totally cool with that. And I had a response coming. And um, again, those are guys that I still am, am tight with today, but it does require some proactivity and bravery mm-hmm. on your part. And also just kind of swallowing your pride of the whole like it really shouldn't be this way but it is I just didn't I tried not to waste too much time on that I tried to get to a solution that was going to work given whatever situation that I was in and I like to think that my career rewarded me I think I've talked about this before but I mean as a 23 year old kid I was helping the CEO of one of my organizations with the merger and acquisition and was kind of his right hand and I was exposed very early on to conversations that I didn't know what to do with then but as my career has progressed it has taught me so much about how business works so I think the point here is just to to be open should we always have to be the ones fixing, figuring it out, whatever. No, but somebody has to do it. So be proactive and figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. And that goes back to the trailblazing and, yep. you know, and, and all those um, points that we had talked about earlier. And uh, I think it, the point that you made too, or I took away from it is about not taking it personally. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, they are who they are too. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I try to remember, too, that, you know, guys need camaraderie. When guys are hanging around a lot, they tend to build that camaraderie, and it's a guy yeah. thing. And it doesn't mean that um, there's anything wrong with you. It just means that you're kind of different. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It takes a little bit more of your effort in order to, like, make it all work. And, again, should it have to be like that? No. I mean, but, again, it's the game, you know, and it's, it's playing the game. You can use it, either choose to play the game or you choose to sit the bench. So, Well, and also, like, don't oversimplify it. In some of these cases, I mean, 
like when I talked about that first design job, um, three of the guys had gone to high school together. They had yeah. worked at the company together for six or seven years. Were they known as the bro club? Yes. Did they come by some of that honestly? Yes. There were other factors at play. So I think that's exactly right. Like you, you have to really assess what you're actually dealing with and then solve it through that lens. Yeah, I agree. All right, so this actually sets us up nicely for the next one here. So I feel like I have to work twice as hard as my male counterparts, and I can't make mistakes. I'm sacrificing personal time and time with my family to do this. And what's worse, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. What should I do? And I think the first thing that we would say is, do you really, really have to work twice as hard and you can't make mistakes? Or is this something that is perceived in your brain because of the situation that you are in? And I say this because... (laughs) One of my other um, bosses um, used to tell us, um, <laughs> us middle managers, that um, he loved all of us because we were a group of insecure overachievers, um, <laughs> which means we'll work our butts off because we are like trying to get better than the person next to us, you know, and we're all, you know, pretty smart people. Um and that's an ideal middle manager mindset, really. And so you got to have to really like kind of check yourself because I think the thing I learned the most after I left P&G was and looking back at it was like, you know what? I only really got recognized for maybe 75 to 80% of what I did. Um, it didn't matter how hard I worked. It didn't matter like what was like what actually I even like. The, the 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 scope of work or the um the body of work I did it was like a couple of things that mattered to somebody and it was also the way in which I did it so again when we went back to the uh, the softer skills and 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 the way that I approached the work it was all that in a package and then it also was did I have the right support at that time mm-hmm. um it, you know what was like you know the, my reputation at that time. And I say that all because, you know, we get so wrapped up in our in our careers because we all feel like we have to outwork the person next to us. But sometimes it's about working more smartly than it mm-hmm. is harder and making sure you're working on the right things at the right time. You're involving the right people. You're getting the right exposure so that you can make those things that you're doing work harder for you versus all the stuff you have to do or all the meetings you need to participate in or um, all the calls you have to take. Or, you know, we've talked about the fear of missing out being like a huge detriment to people's productivity and being able to really deliver big things. So I would say, like, really think about is this really something that is true or is this something that you have built up in your mind because of some sort of situation that's going on? Either, either can be true. I'm not saying that, you know, one's true and one's not true. Um, But I'm saying you have to just internalize it a little bit more and see, because at the end of the day, we teach people how to treat us. And so if that's what you believe, then that's what people are going to believe of you. Well Mm -hmm. then, yeah, you can't make mistakes. You know why? Because you have taught, you know, your managers that that's a thing that you're it's that's that's your that's critical to you and that you're not going to like to handle. So then yeah. So be careful about what you're putting out there because you may be your own worst enemy here. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I've been part of cultures and, you know, agencies also have been known for this historically where I work 70 hours a week. I work 72 hours a week. I work 76 hours a week. And it becomes this competition and there's a dashboard and, you know, everyone trying to one up each other. And I can tell you that those were the least productive times of my life. And that was a male, not a male, female thing. That was just like an in total yeah. thing. Versus to Anne's point, when I learned to play the game a little better, take a step back, look at the landscape, see really what was very real, which is hard to do when you're in the middle of the situation, but really assess and then go tackle those things that were most important to the team or to the boss or to the whatever and put those first. Whether I agreed with it or not in every instance, always made a greater impact. And over time, I feel like it just it made me far better at my job because I was able to inherently look at things from all angles. And I think that's kind of the point of this one, right? Don't oversimplify something. You know, yes, these things can happen, but just make sure it's true. But then also, you know, make sure that you're really digesting and looking at everything first before you jump to a conclusion. Yeah. All right. Number six, as a woman, is it important to have a female mentor? Are there benefits to having a male mentor? One of our famous answers, it depends. I think there are benefits on both sides. There are also different moments in time, where you are in your career, what you're trying to achieve. I mean, all of those things change. And, and we actually just did an episode on coaching. So that one's out there and, and gives more specifics around this in total. But I would say choose carefully, but also think about what you're trying to get out of the relationship and who's better suited regardless of gender or if gender is playing a role. Like if you're mm -hmm. in a situation where you're like, I as a female and having trouble and my team's all male and it's me, then that might be a reason to lean into someone that has been there before that can help you manage that. Um, I will say that there have been times in my career because of the male dominance factor where I've purposely sought out female support just because I needed someone who thought a little bit more like I did or like I just said had experiences in those ways um, and that really could give the perspective versus other times where I had males who taught me to be a little tougher or to think about it through their lens or you know there were a couple instances where there were a couple designers that happened to be male that I was really going head to head with from a strategic perspective and how to better manage that and so I think the answer really is it depends choose the person for the situation you're in and what's best for your career in that moment uh, and don't be afraid to change if situations change and you need someone new you We've talked about that in that episode as well. Go ahead and, and do that. Um, but choose mentors based on the outages in your current situations where you can get support that you're not getting in your role and that can be in your corner and give an honest perspective. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think because of the zero-sum female game, sometimes a female mentor can feel really contrived. Fair. Especially if there's a lot of competition there. Um, so I think... You shouldn't feel like you need to have one in order to be able to function um, as a as a female, although it can feel good to have female mentorship so you don't feel as alone. So yeah. I think that's a really good point is um, you it's do very it, gray. Yeah. Do it where you, you feel like who's the best person to give you the best advice in the position you need. And then I think balance that with the emotional support you feel like you need. And if you need 
um, something a little bit more formalized as we've talked um, in our um, the coaching and mentoring episode is pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, buy yep. some, you know, uh, pay for the coaching that you feel like you need. Um, I had a female coach um, and I thought she was fantastic. So, um, yeah, so I think that's a really good, really good point. And our final in the trenches question, is it possible to have a strong support system in the women around you versus a competition you have mentioned of being the only or at the top? Short answer. I'm all about the short answers in these last two. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Just like anything else. Good and bad examples of women supporting versus not supporting each other. We've all experienced both. Um, That same example I was talking about with early on trying to infiltrate the boys club. I was really, really um, lucky to have a group of women with 10 to 15 years more experience than me who pulled me into their circle And really made a concerted effort, even if somewhat informally, to help me become a better professional. A lot of times that was stuff like reining in my emotions. I talked about being, you know, a little bit of a ball buster, maybe too direct, all of those types of things. I mean, God bless them. They are still great friends of mine. But they would let me go to lunch. And like the first 15 minutes of lunch would just be me spewing all over the place about what was happening to me in every any given instance. And I think I got into the habit of buying the volcano roll for the table so they would listen to me for the first 15 minutes. But in any case, um, you know, that was a really positive example. Fast forward to when I had kids. I mentioned that organization. There were a lot of women having kids. We really helped each other out. You know, we were we kind of insulated the group. So if someone had to leave, we wouldn't say it was about the kids. A lot of times we just say, oh, she had to go. She had an appointment, you know, whatever. Uh, We worked really hard for that for each other so that there was no bias from that perspective. are there situations like we've talked about with jealousy, you know, being the only one undercutting competition? Of course there are. But there's also just really good examples. And as I look back on my career, honestly, it's it's pretty much a balance of both, which is like a lot of situations in business. You know, you find your people when you're looking in the right places and you commit to them as well. And that's, you know, the good experiences were on that side versus, you know, you don't like everyone you work with all the time. And, and that's also a very strong reality. So there you go. Yeah, and I think that's um, very well said, and I, I'm not sure I had much more to add to that. So, um, I, I, yeah, because I, I think that's very well said. Very well said. Um, is and it kind of goes back to the the question of before. Um, you know, find what you need in order to uh-huh. survive. It may not necessarily be within your organization. You may not need to look outside your organization, and that's totally fine. And sometimes you just need, you know, good girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, You know, and maybe girlfriends who have been there, done that or um, have, you know, are in a different industry or something that you could just, like you said, kind of commiserate with um, that are allowing you to um, get that outlet um, without having to um, necessarily have like a some sort of like relationship that's a mentoring or coaching relationship. So, yeah, um, sometimes you just have to be more um, thoughtful about how you're going to get that. So. Okay, guys, our third segment is usually um, a real-world example of a brand who's doing this real not so well, um, and that doesn't really make a ton of sense here. So you know, we're just give you a ton of, of perspective here, and I'm sure um, you guys' heads are maybe swimming a little bit um, because it's just so much you know to kind of pack into um, you know the hour that we've talked about. So. We thought maybe we'll just kind of end it here and just reiterate, you know, the point that you know this was all in an intent again to make you more empowered as you're approaching your career and your life, um, so that you can see that and recognize that yes, there is a game being played here, and you have a choice whether or not you're going to play the game or not. 
trying to give you the rules of the game a little bit from a bunch of different perspectives um as well as like help you see the the consequences you know from both sides and really just let you guys know it's okay whatever you decide is okay mm-hmm. but you have to make a choice and you have to honor that choice you can make a different choice later on down the line as well but just wanted you guys to have that information based on what we wish somebody would have told us about women in business being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day which is why we offer individual and group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes check out our website forthright-women.com to learn more if you find this podcast of value please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman